Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. When I was a little kid, I wanted to be like Superman. Any of you old enough to have Superman as a hero? Okay, a few of us, right? And those of you who are younger, you had your own heroes. But I mean, I loved it. My mom would tie a towel around my neck. And I would just run around the house, you know, and fly. And this is so cool, you know. And let the bullets bounce off my chest. Right? It's so cool. It's this hero. He's so strong and so, you know, able to do things. And the hero, all those kinds of things. And, and I wanted to be like that. And as I got older, I came up with a more realistic kind of heroes, real heroes. Um, well, I guess real heroes, but it's, it's a theme. It's a theme that runs through cultures, and it certainly runs through our culture. Um, any of you here Lord of the Rings fans? The movie series? Yeah, it's really you know, an awesome saga, a story. But man, there are those points in times where, as, when it comes right down to it, that the hero has to step up and stand in the gap in front of every, you know, because here the enemy comes and it doesn't look good. But he, he doesn't run. He steps up and takes this stand, you know, strength. And because of his inspiration, other people step up beside him. And often even the love of his life will suddenly step up there next to and show her strength. And right. And then it's, whether they die in the story or live, does it matter? There's this greatness to them. Uh, I think of the story Gettysburg, the movie Gettysburg, and um, uh, just the charge, and if, if you're familiar with it or not, but just the charge uh, that this one company led that turned the tide at Gettysburg, and just, I, I get choked up when I watch those things. It sounds silly, Christina, I get choked up about lots of things like that. But the things that seem to really matter, these strong, people, strong heroes, and, and doesn't our culture highly value that kind of character, a strong person who steps up and is on his own and in spite of everything that happens, stands strong and does all those things? Well, last week I said to you that I don't think we know Jesus very well, that we know about Jesus, we know our beliefs about Jesus. We could probably say, you know, what those are, what we believe about him, probably answer test questions right about most of that. But when it comes to actually knowing Jesus, I think sometimes we, we don't do that real well. And so I wanna focus in on this sermon series on that. And this is pertinent because what you need to understand is this, all these things that I'm describing to you that, you know, the strength, the strong people, and Jesus values weakness. Now, for some of you, I don't want you to shut off and say, I'm done. Okay, don't, don't do that. Hang in there with me today, all right? Jesus values weakness. And I, another hero comes to mind to me is, is I, something, a book that I read shortly after I moved up here in 1982, a book on Martin Luther uh, in the Reformation and reading his story, how he come to, came to understand that, that what the Roman Catholic Church was teaching was not biblical and that we are indeed saved by grace through faith, you know, that Christ did it all and we just have to, to trust. Um, 
And so he was challenged by that, and they had this, this big hearing where, I mean, they had the authority to put him to death. And they called him before this you know, tribunal, you might want to call it, and he has to give testimony, and they challenge him. And finally, they challenge him, say, are you going to recant? Are you going to recant? And the idea is that, you know, if, if you don't, I mean, they promised him safe passage, but they didn't know if that would happen. But basically, he said, well, he says, I will recant of anything that the Scripture does not say you know, that I'm wrong about. But I cannot recant of the things that the scripture does say. And he says, and here I stand. Strong. But his next, rest of his statement was, God help me. God help me. And in that statement, there's this recognition of things that he was not able to do. A recognition of a need for the Lord. And that's what we're going to talk about as we talk about that Jesus values weakness. It's different than what our culture values. So let's take our Bible and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. And in this sermon series, we'll be starting each, each week in the, the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 4, and if you don't have a Bible with you, we encourage you to take one out from under the chairs and turn to page 1183, 1183, and follow along with us. We'll give you page numbers as you need them this morning. It's really good to follow along in the Bible. It helps with your understanding, and um, so we encourage you to do that. So here Jesus has, has uh, come into his public ministry, probably about 30 years old. He has gone to John the Baptist and been baptized uh, by John the Baptist. Again, it's, it's, that was a, a part of what it meant to be a good Jewish man at the time. He went and did that. And then we see him beginning the rest of his public ministry here. It starts like this in chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. That's where he was baptized, the Jordan River. Returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. Now, before we go on, let me just show you, you know, in um, this, this uh, summer, as most of you know, the beginning of the summer, uh, my family and I had an opportunity to travel to Israel, and we did. We got off the plane in Tel Aviv, uh, I think early afternoon, and uh, got on the buses and, and drove. We're headed for the Dead Sea that night. But along the way, we drove through what is called the Judean wilderness. And all of a sudden, we drive kind of in the middle of nowhere, it seems, and we get out of the bus, and we walk up this path, I don't know, 100 yards, 200 yards, to an overlook of the Judean wilderness. Hot, the wind is hot. And, and let me show you what it looked like, okay? Go ahead and show that, John, if you would. Now, when we think wilderness, what do we typically think? Forests, trees, maybe even jungles, right? This is the Judean wilderness, and it's, it's, it's not really the sea, but do you realize like there's nothing there? I mean, nothing, nothing, <laughs> okay? Hot, dry, and nothing. Show them to go to the next picture, all right? So this is looking the other direction. Actually, that's looking down toward the Jordan River, and it may have been a place just like this that Jesus from the Jordan walked up into the wilderness. One more picture, I think, yeah. So that's on down toward the Dead Sea again. But you see what I'm talking about? This is, this is where Jesus went for 40 days to be tested here. So that, that helps you to see what, what it was like. 
So being tempted for 40 days by the devil. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, we don't see any temptations happening until the end of the 40 days. And here we see the record of the uh, specific temptations after the 40 days. So I'm not sure what it was. It says he was being tempted for 40 days. I'm not really sure uh, what that means, whatever the temptations were. Maybe the temptations were, well, let's just read on. We'll figure it out, maybe. It says, and in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. So for 40 days, he goes into this wilderness and he didn't eat any food for 40 days. And so maybe part of the temptation would have been what? To give in on that. Quit. Anybody here say, oh man, you know, I have just been waiting to do that. I'd love to sign up today for a 40-day fast beginning today. Anybody want to? Uh, People can fast that long. People do fast that long off and on. Um, and it can be a fairly difficult time for part of it, but there's also uh, things that happen that actually make you feel better and you can end up healthier if you don't die along the way. Seriously, that's the way that works. Some people have problems, and really bad problems with fasting long, and others do well with it. But what I want you to see is what happens is you, after about three days, you, you lose your, this gnawing hunger. That kind of goes away because your body switches over and begins eating the fat in your body. It looks for every little place of fat you have. And more than that, all the waste sometimes and toxic stuff that sort of builds up in your body, it starts finding all that too. And it's, it's looking for stuff to live on, okay? And it, it does that. Well, around the 40-day mark, and it's different for different individuals, but around the 40-day mark, you run out of that stuff, okay? And all of a sudden, you really become hungry. I mean, do you realize that most of the time when we're hungry, we're probably not really hungry? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? In other words, if you, didn't, if you don't eat the next meal, do you think you will be starving to death and die? Now, some of you will act like you're starving to death and going to die, but you won't, right? So we don't have that kind of... I'm talking about the kind of hunger that comes when all of a sudden you have nothing left to eat except yourself. Okay? Your own muscles, your own bones, and you reach that point, and all of a sudden, your body naturally then just, you become ravenous. You have to eat, because guess what you're doing now? You're dying. Okay? You're, you're beginning a process of dying if you don't eat. And so, this affects you. It affects you. This physical hunger. It affects you mentally and what you can think about and what you focus on. It affects you emotionally. I mean, it's, it's a, in fact, this is how people know when they've reached the end of the long fast, when they need to quit, because all of a sudden this hunger takes over. And they have to be very careful how they actually eat at that point, because they can become very sick if they don't work themselves back into it properly. But anyway, so this is where Jesus finds himself. Now, Jesus is God. True statement? We say true. Jesus was human. True statement? So which was he? That's right, good answer. He was both, he was fully God, fully human. But as he pursues this time of testing, and as he lives his life as a human being, the Bible tells us that he set aside the free exercise of his being God, okay? And he says all he did when he was on earth is whatever the Father showed him to do. How are you and I supposed to live our lives? Doing what? 
Whatever the Father shows us to do, that's how Jesus lived. And how do we do that? With the Holy Spirit, right? Working in our lives. And that's what it says here. here. It said he was filled by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. So Jesus is facing this temptation the same way you and I would face this temptation. Now, thankfully for him, he doesn't have a sin nature, you know, that, that draws him to that. But what I want you to see is these temptations were real. But let's read on. We'll stop and talk about it. As we go. So I said, and he reached this end of 40 days afterward when this 40 days, he was hungry. So he's at that place really of great weakness from a human being uh, standpoint. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. All right. So Jesus, he's hungry. We already know that, right? And how hungry is he? He's hungry like most of us have never felt hungry, okay? Because we haven't ever been to this place in our lives, most of us. Um, And so Satan is saying, hey, you are God. You have the power. You could do this. Is that a real temptation to Jesus at this point? Do you think? Is it? You guys with me? Because it is. Yeah, this is real. And he does have the power. He could turn the stones to bread and eat right then. He could do that. But as a human being, he was yielded to his father. As a human being, he was depending on the Holy Spirit. And God had not given him permission to do that. Verse 4. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. It's what God says is more important than physical nourishment. And so I choose the Father. I, I choose what's good and right here. He, he makes the right response to this temptation. But what I want you to see, and the other ones uh, aren't maybe quite as clear to us, the temptations we'll see, um, how it relates to this time of fasting. What if Jesus had walked out into the wilderness and, and uh, later that day he missed breakfast and he missed supper, or, uh, lunch and now it's supper time and he feels hungry and Satan comes and says, hey, why don't you turn the stone to bread? Would think that would have been an easy one to say no to? It would have been easy to say no to, right? I'm not that hungry. Jesus brings himself to the point where he is the, in the weakest condition to face this temptation. Now, why would he do that? Well, we'll talk a little more about that. But what we see is that Jesus values weakness. And so here he is with the same hunger, and it's affecting him mentally. It's affecting him emotionally. Let's read on. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, all will be yours. We live in a fallen world. Satan is the, uh, the prince of the power of the air. He does have influence in the, uh, the kingdoms of the world. And now he offers it to Jesus. If you'll just worship me. Would it be a right thing for Jesus to say, yeah, I should have that authority? I'm not, I'm not asking trick questions this morning, okay? Would it be right for Jesus to assume that authority? But it would be wrong for him to do it this way, wouldn't it? He needed to wait on the Father, wait on the Spirit's working in his life to bring him to that point. But Satan is offering it to him in verse 8, and Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. 
Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And then Jesus has answered so far each temptation by saying what? It is written. Here's what the scripture says. Here's what God says, what the father says. Um, Satan now brings scripture to the table. Verse 10, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, to guard you, to protect you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. He's saying there in Psalm 91 that, listen, God has promised to take care of you. You can do this. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And let me just take a little sidetrack here and just say that um, Satan is always looking for an opportune time in your life, okay? And sometimes we have great success and we do really well. No, he's coming back, okay? Be alert to that. All right, back onto the message here. Verse 14, then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went throughout through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So Jesus starts his whole ministry, his whole public ministry, by putting himself in a position where he was weak. Putting himself in a position where he had to depend on the Father, where he had to depend on on the Holy Spirit's working in his life. Why would he do that? Well, Jesus values weakness. And let's, let's kind of chase that through some scriptures here. I think one of the reasons Jesus did is because he needed to face the worst temptations possible on our behalf. Because his success in this gives rise to what we hear, read later, right? That Jesus was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin, so that he could be our savior, so he could be the perfect sacrifice. And so he did that. But I think there's more than that. Remember, we said he's, he, Jesus is living earth, uh, life on earth like a human being. He is God, but he doesn't use his power as God unless the Father instructs him to, unless the Holy Spirit leads him to. And so he's functioning like a human being. and and. What we saw is that Jesus brought himself to the place where he needed his father to work. As a human being, he needed that. He needed to trust his father. And so Jesus values things that bring us to that place. And he said in the Gospel of John in another context, but he said this, he said, it is the spirit who gives life the flesh profits nothing. In other words, what we bring to, to this endeavor in our own strength, our own abilities, our own wisdom, that it is not profitable when it comes to accomplishing the work of God. That comes from the Holy Spirit. That, that means that you and I, whatever we bring naturally, apart from God, cannot accomplish anything for God. And we're going to see it a little more clearly in just a minute. The Apostle Paul came to understand this, and in Philippians chapter 3, he says, we put no confidence in human effort. We have no confidence in human effort. Our, our methods, our strengths, our ideas, our, 
whatever we can bring to this, we put no confidence in it. And so, so I, I, I start thinking about this and I think about the people that, you know, and the stories where I look at my heroes and my heroes do what? They stand up and with great, you know, human strength and confidence, bring it to bear and turn the tide and win the day, right? But when I understand my life about that, what am I supposed to be doing in life that's gonna matter forever? You know, pause, I'm looking for things that are gonna have positive influence forever. No confidence in my efforts. You should have no confidence in your efforts to do that. This is why Jesus values weakness. Now, we're gonna see this. Now, the Lord um, values weakness so much that when we aren't getting that, and we aren't living that way and we're kind of trusting in ourselves and what we do, he will bring us into places where we can't succeed. He will. I kind of envision this. If we think of the Christian life like swimming, right? And, and he sees that, you know, you're trying to swim on your own with your own strength and figure this out. And he says, ah, you are. So he'll pick you up and throw you in the deep end. Now let's see how you do. Why would he do that? To get you to see what? I can't do this and I need somebody to rescue me here and to do something in my life. Yes, I get your vision at the, you're at the beach and you're running around, so he throws you into the surf. I mean, it's just, the Apostle Paul experienced this in a couple of ways. Uh, one was the time he says that he was in Asia and uh, we aren't sure exactly where this falls into the story in, in the book of Acts but that he said that things got so bad, he didn't know if he was even gonna live, he felt so pressured, he felt trapped, he felt crushed, and he was to the point of giving up. And he says, he came to understand why God let that happen. He said, so that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God. What was God doing? bringing him to a place where he had to see his weakness, what he was incapable of doing. You're starting to see that God values this in us. He values weakness. Now, again, you say, well, I don't know, but this is crazy. Hang in there. Hang in there with me. We should not trust in ourselves but God. The second time was when he, God had given him certain revelations and things that no other human being had ever seen or, or known about. And, and the temptation was for Paul to become prideful. Because, I mean, he, you know, above all, anybody else knew things and had experienced things with God. And, and so he says that God gave me a thorn in the flesh, some sort of physical malady, some sort of problem, some sort of weakness to keep me from becoming proud. So let's, let's look at that passage. Chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, page 1335. 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse seven. And he says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. And as God has allowed Satan to do this, why? Lest I be exalted above measure. 
Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. We, again, we don't know what it is, but we do know that it was a hindrance to Paul. It, it, it was a weakness for Paul. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, what does he mean by this? This word perfect is the idea of complete and full. And what God just told Paul is that when you are weak, when you come to this place where you understand that you have weakness and you aren't able to do what needs to be done, that is when you can begin to experience the fullness of my strength. That's when my strength really comes into play, Paul. Now, who's stronger, God or us? Duh, <laughs> right? So whose strength do we want to be ruling in our lives? God's strength, not ours. And so God allows these things and brings these things. Now what I want you to see is this. So, I mean, so we're getting the picture here. Jesus values weakness. And the reason he values weakness is because it gets us to the point where we finally say, oh wow, I can't do this. I need the Lord. I, I'm going to depend on the Lord. And, and we put our faith there. And he values that because then his strength comes to bear. His strength then can work in us and through us and, and do amazing things through our lives. And so here's Paul's response. He says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. That's the same word as weakness there. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Wow, I'm, in fact, I'm, I'm starting to see this weakness is a good thing. Now, if I had asked you today when you guys walked in, how many of you think that, you know, uh, being weak, you're just a weak person, how is that's a good thing? And you're aspiring to it, right? My goal today is to be weak. To be weak. <laughs> weak. We wouldn't do that, right? It doesn't come natural to us. This is counterintuitive to us. But the Lord wants to bring us to those places. And, and what we need to do is finally get that and respond like Paul is. And begin to look at it differently. Because I don't know about you, when everything comes into my life that is a huge deal, and sometimes it's huge deals come into my life, and that all of a sudden I realize that I have no control, I have no ability to change or fix or anything. I don't like to be in that position. Anybody with me on that? You with me on that? We don't like to be in that position. But what I'm realizing, and, and it just hit me again this week, and I studied this passage many times, but just as I saw it more clearly, that I need to change my mind about that. And my wife already kind of got this. She says this, and she's, she's good at this. But when those things come, as much as we don't like them, it's a good thing. Because it brings us to the place where we say, I have to depend on the Lord. And that changes us. Let's read on here. Let's see what Paul says. He says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's go back and take this apart a little bit. Therefore, I take pleasure. This word, actually, you go back and look at what it means. It means I approve of. And it's even I approve of in a formal sense. I've settled it. So when that thing comes into your life that is, exposes your weakness, what are you going to say? I approve of this. 
mean, God doesn't need our approval. We're talking about for us, right? This is a good thing. It is good that this is happening in my life. And then he says what kinds of things he is approving of, what kinds of things he's saying this is good. He says infirmities, that's that same word weakness, and that means feeble or frail. <laughs> Again, these are not things that we naturally think of as a good thing, but when it comes to living my life for the Lord, making uh, differences that are eternally significant in a positive way, all those things, I am feeble. I am frail. I'm not able to do this. It's like, like, it's like my father now, and my brother was here visiting last week. My brother had a rental car, and it was an SUV, and it was high up, and my dad had to climb in. And he is feeble and frail and not able to do that. And it took, us about, took me about two minutes to get him in because he started in and then kind of fell over. And I had my shoulder in his rear end, keeping him from falling out of the car. I, I, I know it sounds like really bad, it was kind of funny, okay? But trying to, he, he didn't have the ability to do it, okay? And so that's what he's talking about here. When, so when I come to this place where I realize I have a weakness, I am feeble, I am frail, I do not have the ability to bring about what needs to happen, I approve. This is a good thing. In reproaches, and this has to do with, with people insulting you, looking down on you, putting you down. It's, it's how people respond to you. He says, when people respond to me in such a way that I realize, oh boy, I can't you know, change this. What am I going to do? I gotta, hey, I found another place where I have to depend on the Lord. Okay, I approve. This is a good thing. In needs, and these are like necessities, things that, that we have to have and we don't have them. <laughs> things, you know, whether it's resources or material things or, or, or spiritual things or whatever it is, we need it and we don't have it. Okay, this is a good thing. I approve. I mean, this is just opposite, isn't it? The way we normally think about these things. It's an oh no thing. Is it for you? It is for me. It's an oh no. But we need to change the oh yes. This is a good thing. In persecutions, and I don't experience a lot of persecution, but we get that, right? If, if you're being persecuted for standing up for the Lord, I don't mean being inconvenienced or harassed, I mean being persecuted. Then he says in distresses. And this word distresses, the original word behind it, conveys this idea of having no room. And it was being compressed, and so it's the idea of feeling trapped. We're distressed because what? We feel trapped. There's nowhere to go, no way to respond. We are trapped. And Paul says, I approve. This is a good thing. And why is it a good thing? Why? How in the world would you ever think this? And it's because of what he says in that last sentence in that verse. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God gives grace to the humble. And what's he do to the proud? He resists the proud. And so when we're saying, hey, I can handle this on my own, I'm all set, I, I know how to do this, I got you know, some strength here, I can handle it, that's pridefulness, because what are we saying? I don't need you, Lord. Don't need you. God gives his grace to the humble, and his grace is sufficient, and we learn that when we are weak, that's when God's strength comes in and does amazing things. And so this is the way God has set it up. This is how he's going to, to work. And we need to learn to live this way. 
And this is a, a, a big change of mind. But we need to learn to live this way. Let's turn your Bibles to John chapter 5, or no, 15, page 1242. John chapter 15. Jesus getting ready here. He's getting ready to head to the cross. He's teaching his uh, followers his last few things, really important things. And he uses an analogy saying that, that he is a vine and we are like branches. We're branches. And that branches grow off of what? The vine. Where do branches get their life from? The vine. You disconnect the branch, the branch does what? Shrivels up, has no life, can't bear fruit, all right? So this is the analogy he's using here. <laughs> Verse number four. He says, abide in me and I in you. So he's talking about this close bond relationship like the branch should be connected to the vine. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. No fruit, you, you're, you can't do it. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do what? Nothing. Now, say, well, what do you mean? Can't I go grocery shopping without abiding in the Lord? Can you? I'm, that's not a trick question, but can you go grocery shopping without abiding in the Lord? Can you drive home today without abiding in the Lord? Yeah, you can go to work tomorrow without abiding. We can do all of those things. So when he says you can't do nothing, that isn't what he's talking about. What he's saying is you can do nothing of positive eternal significance. Nothing that's going to make a positive difference forever in the spiritual realm. You can't do anything, any of that, apart from him. When it comes to that, you are what? Weak. You are weak. You have no ability to accomplish the things that God wants to accomplish. None. I mean, isn't that pretty clear? For without me, you can do, what's it say? Nothing. We've got to believe that. And then we've got to be with Paul and say, hey, that's so good that I realized that. This is a good thing. Because now I can depend on the Lord like I've never depended on him before. And, and let me just see here before I, okay. So let me make this statement. The only way that we will bear the kind of fruit the Lord wants is by recognizing that we can't bear the kind of fruit the Lord wants. Kind of a contradiction, isn't it? But the only way we will bear the kind of fruit that the Lord wants is by recognizing that we can't bear the kind of fruit the Lord wants on our own. On our own. When we are dependent on Him, when, when we stop trying to be strong and we let Him work in our lives and let Him have His way in our lives, and we do that by yielding ourselves to Him and depending on Him and, and, and prayer and, and the Word. You start to see how, you know, the preacher always says you need to, to be in the Word and you need to pray. You need to be in the Word. You need to pray. You need to be in the Word. You need to pray. And you say, man, okay, okay, you know, there's not all stuff to do. But this is how we stay connected to the vine, isn't it? We come to the vine and we open His Word and let His life flow in. We, we come and talk with Him and we let His life flow in. And if we don't do that, then we can't do the things that need to be done. All right. This does not mean that I resign myself to my inadequacies. 
right? In other words, uh, I won't ask you to show your hands, but does anybody have anything in here that you continue to fail at? You know, um, I have those things, you probably have those things. It does not mean I just say, okay, well, that's the way it is. I can't do anything, that's impossible. I realize that I'm weak, that's it. No, we don't resign ourselves because what do we say? We, we come to God in our weakness. We come to him with our weakness. And we can say, God, here I am. You know I fail at this time and time again. And I bring this weakness to you. I need your strength to work in my life. And then tomorrow when the same thing happens, you come back in and say, God, I need your weakness here. And you keep after this. You keep yielding the Lord and, and looking for him to work in your life. Because here's the thing. If you say, hey, that's just the way I am. And so, you know. What you're saying is that it still depends on you. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on you yielding to God and Him working in your life. All right, you may be saying here today that, you know, well, that's not my problem at all. In fact, I think I do depend on the Lord. And that's really, really good. If that's where you're at, that is, that is really good. You are reaping the benefits of that, and so is everyone in your life. But let's make sure we're talking about the right thing. We're not talking about here you saying, well, I asked Jesus to help me. I ask Jesus to help me with what I'm doing. And that makes Jesus an add-on. And Jesus will not be an add-on in your life. He won't be. See, we've got to step back way farther than that and go back in the beginning and say, what am I supposed to be doing? <laughs> you know, I have this to do, and is this what the Lord has for me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? And, and we start back even before that. And so that... Now when we say, Jesus, help me, what you're saying is, Jesus, help me do the things you have given me to do. It's not, you're not operating independently of the Lord here. And maybe that's one of the biggest lessons to get, not operating independently. And so we start off with, Lord, what do you want me to do? You've brought me to this place, you know. And when that's your attitude, you're in a position to experience the powerful working of God. Step by step over time. But what about this? But what about the abilities the Lord has given us? Has he given us any abilities? Has he given us any strengths? Sure he has. What about those then? Are they worthless? Are they, they don't count? They don't matter? No, let me, let me see if I can give you an example. Let's assume that, it, let's use the illustration of an auto mechanic. I've known some auto mechanics, still know some auto mechanics that are just amazing. I mean, the way they think, they, they think mechanical. <laughs> Anybody know a mechanic like that? You know, we've run into a bunch of people, mechanics that don't think like that. That's another story. So, but the mechanics, right, he, he has this way of thinking of things, and he has experience and skills, and, and he can do amazing things. And can he fix the car in his own strength? Yeah. But if he's a believer in Jesus Christ, he needs to say, wait a minute, God. What I say is, God never called any Christian to just fix cars. He calls his people to live lives that make a difference in eternity. And so this mechanic has to say, okay, God, I, I'm going to work today. And, and I can't accomplish anything of eternal, you know, significantly positive value in eternity here. I can't do that. But you can. And so I ask you, Father, today to somehow or other be glorified in me as I fix this car. Show me what I need to show. Frustrate me where I need to be frustrated. Do what you need to do. I want to honor and glorify you. In fact, God, I don't even know how to fix cars for eternal purposes. But you do. And so he goes to work and he does his thing. But he's doing his thing in his own strength? No, his strength is now what? Empowered by the Lord. 
So it isn't that our strengths don't matter, they do. And God will use them. But we gotta remember what your strength cannot do. It cannot make that eternal difference that needs to be made. And so your strength needs to be yield to the Lord. And you need to understand, I am weak here. I can't do this. I need God to work. And so I envision, and, and I get, like I said, I do, I get choked up about these hero stories as I watch them and read them. And here's what I envision. So I envision now, here comes the, the hordes, the evil hordes, they're on their way. They are going to overrun the city. It looks like it's desperate, doesn't look like there's any hope. And yet our hero is here. And our hero says, God, I am not able to do what needs to be done here. I am weak. I need your strength. And then he does what? He steps up into the gap, like before, and takes that stand in the power of God. Let me show you. Go back to Luke, chapter 4, page 1183, and we will end with this. Jesus values weakness, and we saw that in this, this passage. John, or Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So he, he responds and follows and goes. Through this greatest time of weakness and temptation, go down to verse 14. Afterwards. Then Jesus returned in the, what's the next word? Power of the Spirit to Galilee. And then goes on. When you come to those places in your life where you finally realize your weakness, your inabilities, and you make a decision, from here on out, I depend on the Lord. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to do things his way. I'm going to abide in the fire. God, I need you to work in my life because I'm not able to do this. You come into that weakness the way you are, but you come out with the power of God on your life. And that's what you need. And that's what the Lord wants us to have. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that we would see today that, our, that we are weak and that we can't do the things that need to be done. I pray, Father, for those here today, and maybe this is all just kind of like such a new thing and hard to understand, and maybe I didn't explain it real well, but I pray, Father, you'd teach us all, show us what we need to to know and understand here. I, I readily admit to you that I am weak when it comes to being able to communicate. But you're not. So please, drive this down into our hearts and minds, this truth that when we are weak, that is when we can experience your strength working mightily in us and glorify you in that and be blessed by it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you. You are dismissed. Please remember the trunk or treat. If you can volunteer for some of those things, please let us know.